I would invite you to turn with me to the Old Testament book of the Psalms, number 114. This, uh, this psalm is uh, really uh, one of the, in terms of uh, literature stuff, you know, meter and imagery and stuff you learn in literature class. This is at the, if, if you want to rank them and put them in a heap, uh, Psalm 114 in terms of literary analysis of the, of the Psalter is way up there. It's, it's really quite beautiful in the original language, especially it's beautiful in, in our language. But um, probably was written after the monarchy split between the northern ten tribes and the southern two tribes, Judah and uh, the tribe of Benjamin. That's probably when it happened. Uh, we're not sure, but it, what, it, what the psalm does is recalls for Israel and Judah, particularly, in a time of big stress. They, they, were, they, they had a lot that was going right and a whole lot that was not going right. And uh, it was to encourage them that this story, this thing that's begun, and they only knew about this much of the whole narrative, but it's, it, it's coming. The, the future is secure because even nature, even the hills and the rivers and seas and everything else is a part of the story. And if you, if you, if you look at the Bible from... It's very beginning in the creation of the world in Genesis to the end when the uh, new creation is complete and God is on his throne and the sea shall be no more and, and there's a river for the healing of the nations. When you take the, the whole of the Bible as one long narrative stream, one big story, there's, there's pivot points, there's chapters along the way. And as we uh, heard about the uh, mission to India, and I, I couldn't help but think that with every one of those church plants, there's, there's another chapter. There's, it's an advance. When this church has a young person come up here and stand and say, yes, I, I stand in a line with all these people. I am, and I make pro- my profession of faith. This story is my story. I am with this story. I'm with this people. This is a chapter in my life, but it's a chapter in the history of the world. Big as you can think, too. And um, that's a little bit about what we're going to be doing with, with, with Psalm 114. I'd like to ask you to pray with me, and then we'll read it. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its beauty. We thank you for its timelessness. We thank you for its power. We thank you that you today still, as you did of old, speak to us through it. Bless your servant who speaks. Bless your servants who hear. Bless all of us who leave and change us thereby and go out into our world better equipped to advance the story, your kingdom, in this world. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Psalm 114. When Israel came out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of a foreign tongue, Judah became God's sanctuary. Israel, his dominion. The sea looked and fled. The Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams. The little hills like lambs. Why was it, O sea, that you fled? O Jordan, that you turned back. You mountains that you skipped like rams. You hills like lambs. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord at the presence of the God of Jacob who turned the rock into a pool, the hard rock into springs of water. People of God, this is the word of the Lord. The mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. Then the psalmist asks, why? Why was that? Why did you do that? You know what it's like in my mind? It's like what was going on in Miami on Thursday night when the Miami Heat, and maybe you hate them, maybe you love them, it's not, it's not material, won seventh game of the NBA championship. <coughs> it's very like what will happen if perhaps Monday night the Blackhawks lose in Boston and then is it Wednesday night they'd play again back at United Center? I don't know. Uh, and they'd win. That, it was, whoa. It is, it's cheering, it's high fives, it's low fives, up high, down low. It's, it's hugs, it's yells, it's jumping up and down, it's dancing. It's, it's a celebration. Because something really big has just happened. And we were here to watch it. And we were here to see it. That, dear friends, is what I believe and what the commentators that I read tell me is going on here with these mountains. They are dancing for joy, for glee. They are trembling with, with, with tremors of delight. That's something that a huge corner, a big, big event has been turned in the story in that march toward redemption that the Bible speaks of from its beginning in the creation and the, the tragedy of the fall. And this is, this is a redemption story. If you, if you divide the Bible up into four, four basic chapters, creation, fall, redemption, that's the big middle part, and then Jesus coming again and the new heavens and the new earth set up, rede- uh, redemption, full uh, new creation... This is a, 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 a paragraph, a big one, a really significant one in the story. When the Israel was released from Egypt, the mountains went, yes, yes, in advance. We are closer than we've ever been before. Now, it's true. A lot had to be done yet. When we hear the stories of, or when we have our young people come up and make profession of faith, we know the story's not completed. There's, there's all sorts of things that have yet to happen. When we hear of a church plant, when we hear of, of uh, hundreds of thousands of people being 
brought to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through the, through the stories of the blood of the Lamb, we are closer than we've ever been before. A whole lot has to happen yet. There's a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of trouble that's going to come down yet. But this was an advance and a substantial one. And the psalmist tells us that the mountains and the hills danced and skipped and played. In order to really understand this, we have to have a, do a little bit of what we call anthropology here. We have to understand what mountains were in the ancient cultures. They were the thin places. They were, when you went up to the top of a mountain, the distance between you and God was smaller than what it was when you were down in the valleys, down, in the, down on the plains. That's why in the Bible, so many of the holy places are mountains. The temple was built on Mount Zion. Do a search in your Bible on Zion. Uh, Mount Sinai, where God came to Moses and gave him the law. Mount Horeb, Mount, the Mount of Transfiguration. I don't know if any of you have ever hiked the Appalachian Trail. Anybody? Got it? Anybody, you young people, uh, you young people, there's, there's something for your bucket list. If you're hale and hearty, you want to hike the Appalachian Trail. At the very northern end of the Appalachian Trail is Mount Katahdin. It's uh, in Ojibwe Indian, but it means the highest mountain. It's the very northern end. It's a very dangerous mountain. Only the really brave souls hike the knife edge and get up there finally. But, it, but it's a holy place. It's a thin place. And that's how the ancients saw mountains. And that's, it, they signified nearness of God. God was very, God was closer there than otherwise. And now, of course, you and I know that but now by the power of the Holy Spirit, God is within each of us. In a sense, we have a sanctuary in our hearts. But a mountain in our hearts. So that's what Mountains were. The, the mountains were ecstatic. They were celebrating a tremendous victory on the field, on the ice, under the dome. They, there was an advance. Egypt had come out. I mean, Israel had come out of Egypt. <coughs> the children living under oppression had advanced, and they... they they had been there for 400 years in Egypt and had been suffering terribly. But now that substantial corner had been turned and, and the new creation, heaven, if you will, was closer than it had ever been before. And they were right to celebrate, even though the, the psalmist knows there's lots of woe and lots of trouble yet to come. But, but you don't, this, this has happened and we, we aren't going to go back on that. Another point about that is that it says that Judah became God's sanctuary. Now, that, that, that refers to the, where Mount Zion is. The temple is in Judah. It's on, in the tribe of Judah. And that's where God came and where the Ark of the Covenant rested after it had first been in the, tab the tabernacle and wandered through the desert. 
Then finally, Solomon built the temple. David prepared it, and God moved in. The glory cloud moved in, and that whole business of the nearness of God, the, the close, his proximity, he'd never been this close before. You could, you could look over your shoulder and see the cloud. And the, this was a really big, big moment. And the mountains, the hills, dance and play for joy. It's a very interesting thing to see how they respond to this great advance. They play. They do. They don't write a solemn book. They don't have serious discussions. They play. I wonder if there is something that you and I can learn about how we respond. Maybe about what play, the why of play... And the what of play ought to be, could be, from this. The mountains skip and dance. And they cheer. Not only do the child, have the children of Israel rung up a huge victory, the biggest thing is that God himself had come into the sanctuary. God's plan to fix things was substantially nearer than it had ever been before. The day of the Lord was much closer. And the fans on the right side go crazy. They do what fans do. They're early. No question about that. There's lots of trouble yet. But because the, the trouble is nearer its end than it ever was before, they're right to celebrate. And so it's today, too. But let's look again. When the, what they do is they, they play. They are happy. They're wildly happy. They play like lambs play. If you, I, I considered downloading a YouTube video of, of lambs playing, and I, I didn't do it because I couldn't figure out how to do it. But if, if you're uh, familiar with YouTube, when you get home, Go to YouTube and look up, um, look up, Giggle with the Goats, YouTube. Giggle with the Goats and choose the one that's about Happy Holidays, it plays Jingle Bells, and you watch baby lambs and goats prancing and butting each other and knocking each other off who's king on the mountain and stuff like that. They're playing. So... uh, Look up YouTube, Giggle with the Goats. But let's look again. There's another spectator at this big event. There's other spectators. And they are the rivers, the Jordan and the sea. They look and they flee. They don't celebrate. If the Blackhawks win on Monday night at Boston, we're going to hear a very different sound from Boston. It will be all, sort of all different from all the living rooms and sports bars and wherever else Blackhawks fans hang out. But it'll be different in the, auditor- in the arena in Boston. It'll, it'll be depression because the other guys won. And that's what 
the psalmist is saying that's happened here with the seas and the floods. And again, we have to do a little bit of anthropology. We have to understand what, what deep water meant to the ancients. If mountains were thin places and places where you could get close to God, deep water was the exact opposite. Deep water was the place where terror dwelt. It's the place that would swallow you up and drown you and you'd disappear forever. They, they were dreadfully afraid of deep water. Uh, the, the deep water was where the great sea creatures, Leviathan and the, and the, the terrible unseen, the seething, churning waters that would... would... When Jesus walked on the water in, New, in the New Testament, it wasn't just a cheap magic trick to say, look, look what I can do. No, it was to show that he had dominion even over this. And when he calmed the seas in Mark 4, he said, peace, you over there, settle down. The... the the, the disciples were terrified when the, 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 there was chaos and they were feared of getting drowned, but they were really terrified when they saw that. And they said, Mark tells us, they were terrified and they said, what sort of man, <coughs> what sort of man is this? Even, even the winds and the waves obey him. I'm wondering what we can learn from this about how we react to the mighty acts of God, the great advances. One of the things that we can learn from this is about our play. I'm thinking because it's playoffs and all of the excitement, and I'm, I'm troubled oftentimes, at my own reaction to the sports teams that I love. I have, I'll be honest with you, said, ooh, the Broncos are getting killed. I better switch seats, see if they do better over there. You ever done that? Um, I have, on occasions, said, break his legs. Um, I have, when playing some game, Monopoly, or I have, to my shame, wanted so badly to win. The competitive juices were... That was what it was all about, that I cheated. I've done that. And I think if you're honest with me and with yourself, you'll recognize that in yourself that you can very, very quickly care way too deeply about that kind of thing. We need to take a lesson from the mountains. They skip, they dance, they play. Now, now, competitive stuff is built into us. And if you watch that YouTube video, you'll see those, those goats competing. Who's king of the mountain? Who can knock each other off? They're, they're, but, but there is a spirit about it that I think we have disastrously lost in big-time sports. Big-time sports now is about... <laughs> it's a, there's a whole lot of it that's about violence. 
and trash-talking and cheating and taunting and who, who, can be, who can physically dominate? More than that, that's, that's any sport, any, any play. You, you, wanna, you, you work hard, you, you, you lift weights, you race, you develop your wind so that you can beat, so that you can win. That's not a bad thing. It's built into the creation. We, we've been racers and boxers since time immemorial. But there is a playfulness about it that we've lost, and I think it's because of all of the money that has come into the whole thing. If you recall the wonderful movie, uh, Chariots of Fire, we see, we see two runners, and they both, they both run, and they both run to win. But Eric Little, the, the Scottish Presbyterian minister, he runs like the lambs play. He says, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. And he runs for the jubilation of it, <coughs> the joy, the pleasure of being at play in the fields of the Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. The other runner, Harold Abrams, <coughs> runs for darker motives. He doesn't run for play. He runs to win. He runs to prove something. He runs because... Because he's angry. And he says, I don't run to lose, I run to win. And if I can't win, win I won't run. And his girlfriend, very wise girlfriend, says, Well, if you don't run, you can't win. There's, there's a, a stark contrast between how and why we play. The difference is, And I would urge you, whether it's a game of Scrabble with mom, whether it's it's rugby. Eric Little was a great rugby player. Rugby is not a gentle sport. If you've ever seen a rugby game, you know that. It's, it's, It's football, but without pads and helmets. Without helmets, it's really rough. And he was a star rugby player, so he he knew how to play rough. But he also played, he played. And there was something that honored and glorified God about it. Did we catch the difference? The two kinds of fans, the mountains exalting, doing victory dances, the waters turning away. What turns our innocent play into something treacherous? It's when we play. I use the word loosely maybe there, unconscious of the presence of God. I, I challenge you, if you're just, just the Blackhawks, I am oh, the Blackhawks, I urge you, if you care too much, don't watch it. Ask yourself, How much do I care about this? Can I watch this conscious of the nearness of God, conscious of the thin place, that because the Holy Spirit dwells in my life, I can watch this and sure, 
say, wow, what a check. Oh, man, he knocked that guy out. <laughs> um, I think that's possible. I think it's possible to be a Christian hockey player. I think it's possible to be a Christian hockey fan. But when it turns dark, and when we somehow obliterate the fact that the mountains are watching, that the Holy Spirit is watching. You know, when I, when I, think, when I think of you giving money to missions of India, I, it's, I had this in my mind as I was sitting there. A guy's at the three, free throw line, dribbling. And you want, you want him to make this free throw really bad. And he's dribbling, dribbling. And you're writing out your check. And dribbling, dribbling, dribbling. And the mountains are saying... Okay, is, is he going to put down 50? Is it going to be a 5? Or are there going to be a couple zeros behind it? What's he going to do? Everybody, the mountains hold their breath. The angels hold their breath. He shoots. Yay! He put the extra zeros. I think, I think such things are not overstated. The heavens care about what we do and how we play and how we celebrate the nearness of God. When we compete in the absence of God, then the only thing that counts is winning. No longer is play a glorious romp in the fields of the Lord. It is a destructive enterprise that has only our self-interest in mind. When we play without the consciousness of God's presence with us, then there are only losers. I'd like to read the psalm once more, and then we'll pray. When Israel came out of Egypt, the house of God from a people of a foreign tongue, Judah became God's sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled. The Jordan turned back. The mountain skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. Why was it, O sea, that you fled, O Jordan, that you turned back? Why was it, you mountains, that you skipped like rams, you hills like lambs? Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool, the hard rock into spring of water.